Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on April 7th, 2022 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. Now, this episode is special. It's a special spring break episode for you, our dear leaders. Now, if you all know me, if you listen to the pod, you know that I hate going on vacation. The worst for me. It's criminal, in my opinion. But what would be even worse would be not having a pod for y'all at all. So before I venture down to Florida, we put this episode together, just one, just for this week, since it's our break. But since we just have one pod, we used my extended conversation with former South Carolina governor and current United Nations World Food Program Executive Director, David Beasley. Governor Beasley spoke with me on This Week in South Carolina on April 4th about global food insecurity issues that have been compounded by inflation, supply chain issues, and now the war in Ukraine. It's an important discussion about the dire need facing millions around the world. Take a listen. Governor Beasley, thank you for making time for us today. Uh, It's good to be with you. Thank you very much. Sir, let's just get right into and talk about Ukraine. That's the big crisis facing the world right now. You've been on the ground there several times over the past few weeks. What's it like? What's the need like there right now? Well, the need, as you can imagine, in what uh, almost every television show around the world is reporting, is the misery, suffering, uh, women and children stuck in the cold on borders, as well as people dying in the streets uh, during the this extraordinary uh, conflict that's taking place inside Ukraine. I've, I have been not just on the border and, and have seen miles, I mean, a, a line of family, mostly women and children, because the men are on the front lines, and women are on the front lines too, but literally watching for miles upon miles, just families in line trying to get out of harm's way in the brutal cold and the wet. And, and actually, you could say, uh, Gavin, these are the lucky ones because they are out of harm's way. They're being met on the border by loving strangers that are receiving them, giving them shelter, giving them food. And then you've got 40 million people still inside Ukraine that are going to be struggling to get food as we speak. Can you talk to us about those logistics? How hard is it to reach those folks both in the country and then people that are now displaced through the European continent? 80% of our operations at the World Food Program are in war zones and areas of conflict. So we know how to do this, but this is quite a unique situation, what we're seeing uh, inside Ukraine. You've got a country that normally produces enough food for 400 million people around the world. So there's going to be an incredible impact outside Ukraine as well as an impact inside uh, Ukraine because supply chain systems are breaking down because the trains have stopped. Not all of them, but some of the trains have stopped. Trucking systems, farmers that should normally be in the fields and in trucks are on the battlefront right, doing what they need to do to protect their homeland. And so when you're trying to protect the supply chain system, it's one thing to come in and feed a million people one time, but it's another thing to feed a million people or five million people or six million people every day for weeks and months. That's a whole different operation, and that's what we're scaling up to do as we speak. And is that bringing food into places like Kiev or other, other big cities in Ukraine at this point? Well, right now, we've we've already scaled up to reach about a million people. We will be scaling up for the month of April to two and a half million people, four million next month, 
and six million people uh, in in June. And so that's what we're doing now. Where are the people that cannot get the food they need in Kiev? And what do we do about Maripol, a, a country, that, a city that's completely besieged in other places around uh, the nation? But sir, Ukraine is a major world food supplier. You mentioned that a moment ago. Uh, what are some of the ripple effects we're already seeing? Obviously, you know, the growing season, the planting season, harvesting, all things happening right around now. What are you guys seeing right now in terms of the ripple effects of this invasion? Yeah, you know, this is what's really extraordinary about this conflict, this war inside Ukraine. It's not going to impact only the 43 million people uh, in the country. It's going to impact the entire world. Before the Ukraine crisis, we were already facing a perfect storm. We had seen the number of people marching towards starvation spike from 135 million to 276 million people pre-Ukraine. We were already seeing fuel costs spike, food costs spike, shipping costs spike. And then on top of that comes Ukraine, which produces enough food to feed 400 million people. But on top of that, they produce, along with Russia, 30% of all the world's supply of wheat, 20% of the world's supply of maize, corn, 75 to 80% of the world's supply of cooking oil, like, I mean, not cooking oil, but sunflower seed oil, which is used for cooking, fertilizers that are produced, 40% of the base products for fertilizers around the world, Belarus and Russia. So if we lose all that, it's not going to be just a pricing problem for the rest of the world. It's going to be a supply chain problem, which means lack of availability of food. And if you have that compounded with pricing, you're going to have destabilization in nations around the world. And this is what we're facing. It's going to be a crisis upon a crisis mm -hmm. as we look probably uh, to the fall when all this will come to the head. Because right now, the planting needs to be taking place in Ukraine for maize, for corn. And that's this month. And if the farmers can't get out to the field to plant the corn, well, you're not going to have a corn crop. Then in June and July is when you harvest for the wheat. Mm -hmm. Well, if the farmers are all on the front line and we can't harvest the wheat, well, or have the inputs, you know, tending to the crops, to the crops in the meantime. Now, mm -hmm. let me let me also touch on another problem. All the silos inside Ukraine are full right now. We can't get this grain out to the rest of the world. And so if those silos are full and we do have a good crop, what do we do with the harvest? So it's a heck of a problem that the world is going to have to respond to immediately. Otherwise, we're going to have massive global food security issues around the world. Gotcha. And you talk about 276 million people right now having insecurity issues with food. Do you know what, right. that, what that could be projected to if all this comes to a head like we're talking about? We're talking about an additional 30 million on top of the 276 million in the next 30 days if this war is not brought to an end. In the next 90 days, if this war is not curtailed or brought to an end, you'll see that number even go up to over 50 additional million people. So that will bring over 300, 325 million people that'll be marching towards starvation. Now, Gavin, understand I'm not talking about people that'll be chronically hungry. That's a whole different ballgame. We're talking about people that don't know where their next meal's coming from, and that means they're either going to be mass migrating or you will have destabilization of nations and famine, which will be starvation beyond anything we've seen uh, definitely 
since World War II. Mm -hmm. And Governor, you've been sounding the alarm on this a lot lately, really getting people's attention because it is, you know, just really just now creeping, now blowing up essentially due to this invasion. But you talk, let's talk about some solutions here. Is there anything that the American farmer can do that you're trying to work with American agriculture to help tackle this possible supply issue? Well, the American farmer has been a critical part of our support system for feeding people around the world. The United States has just been extraordinary in terms of taking surplus grains and taking that to feed the poorest of the poor around the world. And it stabilizes nations and it keeps mass migration by necessity down. So the farmers can play a key role. However, having said that, we're worried about not just farmers in the United States, but farmers around the world getting the fertilizers they need. If they can't get the fertilizers they need, you're talking about a harvest or yield that will decrease by 50% at minimum in places around the world. We're already seeing major issues that farmers in the United States, as well as in South America, as well as Africa and Europe. And so one of the things that uh, we talked, I talked with the G7 ministers of agriculture about a week and a half ago was how does the world, the leaders around the world, offset by immediate short-term solutions the amount of grain and food that will not be available because of the war inside Ukraine. And so like their set aside lands and the fertilizer issues, a lot of green issues that uh, the leaders are going to have to talk about on a short term basis that we may have to mitigate to provide uh, short term solutions for food availability for people around the world. Imagine what will happen if there's not enough food for people in New York or Chicago or L.A. I mean, it will be it will be hell on earth. Exactly, and that's why you're trying to prevent here, and you know, also raising money to prevent, like you were in the state the other day with former Governor Jim Hodges, former New York Governor George Pataki, really making this case to the American people, to the wealthiest of us, about what's going on and what they can do to fix it. What What's the reception been like? I know it's only been a couple of days, but what are you hearing? Have you seen some donations coming in? How much money do you need? Yeah, well, that's the thing. We're short billions of dollars because of these crises that we're facing. We are already cutting rations 50% in multiple countries all over the world because we are billions of dollars short because of the perfect storm of conflict, climate, and COVID, the ripple effect that's taking place. Now Ukraine, et cetera, on top of all this. And so people are stepping up. We're getting uh, millions of more dollars coming in, but quite frankly, the need is so great and I can tell you quite frankly, you know, people say, gosh, I can't make a difference in that. But you know what? We feed a child for about 25 cents. Mm -hmm. And if some, even if a, a young person can give a dollar, that's four meals for a child or four children that get a meal. Of course, we're also asking because I believe that the young people around the world and anybody that has access to a, to a smartphone can go online and give a dollar or $10. But we're also appealing to the world's billionaires who made on average, and I'm for people making money, but I'm also for people who make money to give back in a time like this when the world's in trouble. So the world's billionaires in the height of COVID had a net worth increase, net worth increase now of $5.2 billion per day. All I'm asking for is give me one or two days worth of your net worth increase to solve one of the greatest crises the world has ever faced. And that's what we need is money.
we get the money, we will be able to do three things. Number one, we'll be able to save lives. Number two, we will, we will be able to prevent nations from destabilizing. And number three, we will be able to prevent migration by necessity. And if we don't, not only will people die, but it will cost us thousands of times more than it is to reach people at their home. And that's something that affects billionaires too. So that's all connected there, yes. like you're saying. And you know, I do remember from last October, you were talking to Tesla CEO Elon Musk on Twitter. Uh, he's talking about, you know, what could six billion dollars do to alleviate world hunger? Uh, and there was some back and forth. He ended up did selling. He ended up uh, selling some stock there. Did any of that money make its way to the World Food Program? You know, hadn't made it our way yet, but I'm still hoping. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's a smart guy, you know, and, and people give him a, a tough time. But I tell you, I, I do think if he and I could sit down one-on-one, -on -one, I'd be able to convince him to really do the right thing. And is it hard to do, Governor, when you're talking to billionaires to help them give you money for, for conflict zones, for places that, you know, you're trying to help people in conflicts in, in war-torn countries where there are leaders that are, uh, you know, corrupt in some cases. There's just not really... Uh, you know, the, the infrastructure in place to get this food to the people a lot of times, which is where you guys come in. But what's it like to have to fundraise and let people know that it's just a very difficult world out there? You know, what I have found, uh, I know in the United States, my home country, I have found when people here, uh, when they know they're suffering and struggling, I have never found that the American people didn't step up. And quite frankly, in the last few years, when you cut on you know, the news in the last four or five years, it's been 95% Trump, 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 or Brexit, 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 or COVID, 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 and the people just haven't heard how bad it is. I think people are now becoming aware of how bad it is, and I, I just trust the American people when they know they will step up. And so thank you for allowing us to get this message out mm -hmm. because everyone can play a very serious, significant, effective role in helping keep children and families alive, whether it's a, a dollar from a child or a billion dollars from a billionaire. Mm -hmm. They all are needed right now. Hey, Governor, can you kind of give us some insight into how you negotiate with these different countries when you go and visit you know, Ethiopia, when you've met with the Taliban, when you talk to some of these uh, different governments, what's it like? What are you telling to them about the ramifications of these actions? You know, we, we get that kind of question, as you can imagine, a lot. It's like, all right, when you're in a, in a war zone, you're dealing with Taliban or the Houthis or Al-Qaeda or ISIS or a very difficult government to deal with. What we do is shoot straight. We say, look, we're not here to play politics. We're not here to play games. We're here as impartial, neutral uh, operations. And we want to reach the innocent victims of conflict and war. Uh, keep us out of your politics. Let us help these innocent children who need our help. And it is really quite remarkable when we sit down, even from the toughest actors, we usually get the access we need. But when you've got a, a really at the initial stages of a war and the battle lines are changing and moving, it's very complicated, as you can imagine, at first. It's complicated no matter what, but we usually work through it. We know how to do it. We know how to work through deconfliction. For example, if you've got an active war zone and you've got competing sides in this situation, Russia and Ukraine, uh, how do we talk to both sides to say, all right, tomorrow between 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock, we're going to have 100 trucks come through with food, deconflict, allow us to come through and, and drop our food off and distribute it, and we'll be out of there. Then you can go back to fighting. You know, obviously mm -hmm. we wish they wouldn't, but – whether it's airplanes, ships, trains, trucks, or vehicles, when we're moving food, usually we get a great respect, but you've got to spend a lot of time on the ground talking to the different 
uh, actors involved in a conflict. And again, those battle lines change and shift, and we're moving supplies around, as you can only imagine and as you speak. But communication is critical. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely essential. They know what you're doing, how you're doing it, where you're doing it, what's your purpose, and please to understand that we're not playing games. We're not favoring one side or the other. And I could give you a story after story on that uh, in many different places around the world. And Governor, we have uh, five minutes left and I really appreciate your time. I know you're very busy, but uh, I'd be kind of remiss if I didn't ask you about climate change and how that destabilizes yeah. all of this as well. Uh, what's going on? How are you combating that as best as you can from your perspective? You know, you might debate all day long what's causing the climate to change. Uh, and I'll leave that up to the experts. But I can tell you out on the field where we are, we're seeing more climate shocks than any time we've ever seen. More flash flooding, more droughts, more cyclones, more hurricanes. You, you name it out there. For example, in the Sahel, the Sahara is moving down about a kilometer per year. Last year alone, this is the first time this has ever happened. We had 30 million people displaced around the world just because of climate. Uh, we've never seen that before. And so when we look to the future, if we don't address these concerns, the poorest of the poor, they will either have to migrate or they will die. And so for example, in the Sahel, this is what I tell our major donors, look, the people that I'm reaching in these areas impacted by climate change, they don't want you to just give them fish. They want to learn how to fish. In other words, how do we rehabilitate the land to protect against these droughts and these flash flooding? We've got solutions for that. We're doing that. And I can give you examples and some anecdotal evidence. We've planted, and I say we, our beneficiaries who who really take the brunt of climate shocks and climate change. We've planted over 6 billion trees uh, in the years past, just in the last five or six years, we have rehabilitated, we, the beneficiaries, have rehabilita rehabilitated over 3.5 million acres of land that now is growing food. In other words, when we can come in and rehabilitate the land, put down a, like an irrigation system, and if we can do a homegrown school meal type program, let me tell you what happens. Number one, they start taking care of themselves, feeding themselves, selling into the marketplace, and migration drops off the chart. Teen pregnancy and 12, 13-year-old marriage rates drops off the chart. Recruitment by ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, non-state actors drops off the chart. It's a lot cheaper to come in and address root problems and give people hope than just come in and give charity. That's where we like to be. My goal is to put the World Food Program out of business so that we're no longer needed in these communities. But right now with war and conflict, well, I think we're gonna be here for quite a while. And one of my last questions, sir, you guys, uh, the World Food Program, uh, got the 2020 Nobel Peace Prize, and it's a huge honor, and congratulations to your organization for that. Tell us what have you learned during your tenure uh, steering this organization, and which I know is a, your, your tenure's been extended by years, my understanding as well. You know, the Nobel Peace Prize, you don't get that phone call every day. That was, that was quite a phone call. Never forget it. And quite frankly, uh, the women and the men uh, at the World Food Program that lay their lives on the ground uh, it put it at stake every day to help the poorest of the poor around the world. And I never really appreciated how much hunger and poverty and starvation there was in the 
in the world until I took this role. And I don't have any doubt that the World Food Program is the most strategic, effective organization on earth, and obviously the world's largest humanitarian operation. But to see people around the world uh, starving, struggling, and I see every, you know, every person is my brother, my sister, because we're all made in the image of God. We're all equal and we're all special. And so we have a moral obligation to reach every single human being that's struggling. And you know, when there's $430 trillion worth of wealth on earth today, no child should starve to death, not one. Very good, sir. And anything that keeps you kind of keeps you motivated in this situation? I mean, there's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of need. You see it every day. And you just kind of mentioned this a little bit. But what keeps you going? What keeps you hopeful? You know, when I'm out there in the field, uh, and that's where I spend one-third of my time, is out there in the war zones, the conflict areas. And, and I see battle-torn towns, villages. It's just torn to rubble. And I'll see a child come from behind that rubble. It, it's like a flower in the desert. And when we don't have enough money, we have to choose which children eat, which children don't eat, which children live, which children die. And I asked someone one time, how would you like that job? Well, I've got the greatest job on earth. I don't like to have to choose which children eat and don't eat. So we need that money. And when I look at that child out there, is that could be my little girl, my little boy. That's what drives me every day, not to give up on a single one of them, but for the God's mercy, that would be my child. And we have a moral obligation to reach every single child we possibly can. Very good, sir. That's former South Carolina governor and World Food Program executive director, David Beasley. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Okay, so again, an important conversation with David Beasley, the former South Carolina governor and current director of the World Food Program. As you heard, there are a lot of challenges facing the world today. It can be difficult to process all of this. I mean, it's difficult to watch the news or even look at social media and see all the destruction, heartache, and pain happening around the world. So with that being said, we have to remain optimistic, like Beasley said, and we also need to live in the moment and take breaks from the news, which is why we started doing the wind-down section at the onset of the pandemic and why we continue to do so. Welcome to the wind down section. Like I said, it's our little break for the news. We talk about life during the pandemic, and of course, we want to hear from you all as well. Tell us how you're handling things. I know, like I said, there's a lot going on, uh, but we are taking our breaks. I'm on spring break right now. Maybe you are too. Give us a call where you are. Let us know what you're doing. 803-563-7169. You might just get on the pod. You and might. By might you will. You will. <laughs> okay. The original script is you might just get on the pod. You might. If you're things lucky. Things have changed no, since you, this podcast was written. <laughs> you definitely will. Uh, we got nothing going for us, okay? But we do know we have a good one coming up from a certain listener. So well, we're looking forward to that. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't excuse. Uh, we're going to be transparent here, okay? I'm going to be transparent. We're recording this episode before the weekend episode you just heard. Okay. So when he yes. says it's coming up, it means we haven't played that, but we don't have one. To play for this inception one. is mm. the word oh it's tough but what <laughs> can you believe how good that call was just now oh Gavin? yeah oh man I, the one we haven't heard yet play man, it again oh, man. <laughs> you know what just play again <laughs> uh anyway gavin uh so we have no calls we have nothing going for ourselves respectively uh-huh. in our lives except yes. you're on vacation right oh, now uh, yes i'm in the ether and i know <laughs> we were talking about uh doing a fun little thing so we're gonna we're, i want i thought it would be a fun idea if we could 
get what Gavin thinks his vacation is mm. going to be like, and when he comes back, we can get the actuality of how it all shook out. So what do you think, Scott? Where are you going? What's happening? Me what do you thinks. Think? Yes, me that, thinks, old boy. Me, my, my. Me, Momo, think. Ah. Um, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to Fort Myers Beach in Florida. That's on the Gulf side. It's about nine hours drive from here. Okay, but you're taking a boat to it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> around the horn. You're going around Cape Horn. Okay. Uh, then through the Panama Canal for some reason, and yeah. then back through the Panama Canal. Yeah. And uh, so that's the entire vacation right there. Yeah. But yes, I'll be driving my land boat. Yes. It's that's like how... maritime law. It's yeah. like you... very B-52s of Everything me to call Everything is boaty to you. Yes. Okay. Boaty McBoat phase. Mm-hmm. That would show you. That was Which you. is actually out and about in the Arctic right now. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to the drive. You know, the drive is not as bad as you might think. You say, "Oh my gosh, nine hours!" But having driven to DC recently, Thanksgiving and Christmas, it kind of adds up to almost yeah. nine hours just based on how things have gone. However, however, me, me Gavin Jackson, Gavin yes. Sullivan Jackson, GS, GSJ, GSJ two three zero eight, instant messenger baby, love it. Uh, I will. <laughs> I <laughs> me. I'm planning on leaving early this Saturday morning, and I'm uh-huh. talking like. Early, like what do you 3 a.m.? Whoa, because I don't want Florida traffic is already bad, 95 oh. is already bad. Oh, you but know what? On also a Saturday, bad? the week before Easter, that's gonna be, be bad. Bad. But you know what? Also, is bad is 3 a.m. is a bad time, but you know me, yeah, you know, you guys know, you guys know me. You normally are up at 4 15 in the morning, to 4 do, 45 do your neighborhood rounds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Checking doorknobs, <laughs> relighting lamps. So, so Fort Fort yeah. Myers is that what it is? Yeah. So Fort Myers, I I'm gonna go see. I'm gonna hang out with my good friend Joanna. We were best friends in college, store best friends, and so her parents got a place, but they're not going because her stepfather broke his ankle. So her mother stuck with him back in Rochester. I she hear, came down. I hear you broke his ankle. I paid someone. Well, she actually apparently she misplaced a towel, and that was the downfall mm-hmm. of David. But she was even, you think I'm crazy for driving. She was going to drive from Rochester. I said, Joanna, you haven't had a vacation, get this, folks, in more than three years. Can you even, I mean, some people out there, God bless you, you do that, but I can't. That hurts to hear. I'm barely going four months here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay? People... We, you know, I, I am very big of the European mindset of taking the time. Oh, Gavin is so I am so Euro. Euro. Oh, you guys man. can't see, but I am literally smoking cigarettes and drinking wine. And he right just, now. I mean, he just eats baguettes exclusively. Oh. And croissants. Croissants <laughs> in baguettes. my foyer. <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah, it's going to be good. It's I think been four be months. Good. It's been a while for you. I, there are claw marks in your little <laughs> booth over here, right? <laughs> yeah, like sounds of the lambs. It's bad. Uh, so it w- it w- should be a good time. We're gonna go to the beach. Just hang out at the beach, pretty much. You know, we're beach, right that's on the it? water. Yeah, I don't think it's gonna be anything extreme. She's not a big um, partier like that, and I'm I'm okay not really doing much besides hanging out and drinking a bunch of margaritas on the beach. Yeah, which I think is what I'm gonna do. So I've already scoped out where my local Costco is. Yeah, I've scoped out my local <laughs> Planet Fitness. This. Okay, because I'm gonna Costco keep, I'm gonna of, keep of working out. Iron. Maybe not at five in the morning, but I'll, <laughs> I'll try and make it there. You can't lose your gains, and I understand that. I mean, you know, it's like we've talked about this. You have to start doing things earlier and earlier as you get older and older. And I by just, that I mean like you already game out the whole year. Like if I wanted to get ready to be beach ready, quote mm-hmm. quote, you don't just do that. Oh, I'm gonna start doing that at the end of February. Maybe I'm all. You don't like, just show up like this. Like, January first, folks. You get in there sometimes twice a day. Uh huh. And even still, you you get this. And this is nothing, how you do it. Nothing right at home. This about. is the, the GSJ program. Is you wake up, you eat a full rotisserie Costco chicken. You go to the gym. You get home, you eat another rotisserie Costco chicken. Okay. That's, only five dollars. That's the trick. Okay. 
if you want gains, I don't know how else to tell you this, but this is what you have to the do. The secret is the chickens, okay? You save the bones, okay? Yeah, you make broth out You make the, the broth, bones. and then you use the broth to mix with your pre-workout. <laughs> Uh, I mean, do you see this again? You think you just get it from just eating rotisserie? No, no, you have to drink the rotisserie. This is too. pure bone juice, okay? Well, Gavin, I hope you have yeah, a good Yeah, so it's going to be good. I don't expect anything crazy, but knock on wood, you know, driving. It's going to be interesting to drive. And gas, oh my God. What's gas, the it is going it's down. Coming down. It's, it's coming, coming down. down. It's coming down. It's coming down. Um, but, uh, uh, Gavin, yeah, I hope so you have a good time. Yeah, I, what are you going to be doing in, in my absence? Well, Monday, uh, I will be off because there is Monday after the Masters and Craft and Draft Masters. is fielding a golf team. Ah. And I will be absolutely ripping laser beams if you're listening. Can to I this. just call you uh, the champion de facto right yes. now? I mean, you I, are the champion. I, I'm going to just have my own jacket made. And mm. regardless of where we finish in any of this, I will be having my own uh, ceremonies mm-hmm. and whatnot. If no one wants to join me, I don't care. It's not what it's about. You're, you're tacking on your celebration with the the women's basketball team next week. Yes, I'm just going to drive very slowly in front of them. <laughs> and uh, if no one says anything, I guy? hope to just tag along. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, he won the Craft and Draft <laughs> oh, Masters. Tournament. Have you seen this? It's have you, insane. Have you look at that jacket. It's Look bedazzled. Yeah. Anyway, Gavin, I hope you have a good time. Yeah. I, I hope people aren't too mad that I we're know. only doing one episode I'm this sorry, week. Folks. We're sorry. But, I think um, it's our first time off in like a year and a half. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, because we gave episodes during August. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We keep the beast fed. Yeah, as unlike, we say here. unlike these listeners in the hot. Oh, my gosh. That's shit. That's, that's I'm sorry. Okay. Anyway, okay. goodbye. Have a good week, guys. Uh, let us know what you do on spring break. Yes, give us a call 803 563 7169 or what you're not doing on spring break. You know, we don't want to disrespect anybody out there. Let us know what you're doing. And the way you can do that is calling 803 563 7169. And you can stay up to date with the latest news on SCTV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. <laughs> I'm A2. And I'm Gavin. <laughs> uh, we're going to play for the next 10 minutes cell phones and kids crying. <laughs>